Hi there, I'm Sue Alvis from the blog Stories of an Unschooling Family. Welcome to my podcast. This is episode 173. And today I have a lot of news to catch up with. I would like to tell you about a few of the things that I've been doing recently and tell you a little bit more about what's going on within our unschooling community. And I also have some stories to share with you today. One about love, one about impressing other people, and the third one is about clock watching. Yes, keeping our eyes on the clock because we're very bored. We're not interested in what we're learning about. It has been more than a month since I last sat down at this mic. It seems to be getting more and more difficult for me to find my way into my closet and sit down and record a podcast. I don't have any girls at home anymore. Gemma Rose, who is 16, ever since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, has been working full-time in her cafe. She was one of the few fortunate people who hasn't been out of work at all. She has a lot of skills and she was favoured over other employees at the cafe and actually got a government payment to pay her wage. So that meant she had to work full time, but she's happy. The experience is good for her. I sometimes worry that she's not getting enough free time. She hasn't got time to explore her interests as she previously did, and I'm not getting to spend as much time with her. Yes, I don't like the situation quite as much. Saying goodbye to her in the morning and then not seeing her till the evening. I didn't quite expect that to happen so soon. But things will probably change again. Once everything goes back to normal, once life is, yeah, normal, when we don't have to think about such things as the restrictions and maybe she'll be able to get more time off work and we will resume to some extent the life we had before. But as I've observed, once kids move on, it's never the same when you go back. But yes, I do hope that she gets more time to do the things that she enjoys. Though this experience of working in the cafe is good for her. I can see that. She's learning a lot of skills. She is very confident. She can now support herself while she does whatever else she wants to do. It's always good to have some form of employment that will give you some money if you want to go off and study or do something like my daughter Imogen is doing. She's writing novels. And while she's waiting for that to become profitable, she also works in a cafe. So it's good to have a job and all those skills that go with the job so that the girls are always employable. I think of myself at the age of 16. Oh my, Gemma Rose is well ahead of me. I was stuck at school learning what I was told to learn. I had no idea about what I wanted to do in the future and I didn't even have a part-time job to give me some money. I did get a job, I think when I was about 17, 
But, I mean, Gemma Rose has been working since she turned 15. She has big ideas. She knows what she wants to do and she's going out there and she's doing it. So a cafe job might not sound much, but at 16, I think this is very good for her. She won't be there forever, I am sure. Also, she's a very introverted, reserved type of person. Very quiet until you get to know her. And I think that this job has given her the opportunity to come out of her shell a bit more, to learn how to interact with the customers, her fellow employees, how to deal with, yeah, grumpy customers and demanding bosses and a very hectic schedule. She works in a very busy cafe. Well, it wasn't so busy for the first part of the restrictions when everything closed down. Well, not everything, but I think that here in New South Wales, Australia, we've been very fortunate. We haven't actually had a lockdown. A lot of people have been working from home and schools closed for a while, even though they never closed completely. If a parent wanted to send a child to school so that they could go to work themselves, the schools were open. But most of the teaching was done online for a little while. And our retail stores haven't closed. The grocery stores everywhere, I think, are open. But we haven't had to do without our department stores, our cafes. Even our hairdressers have been open. Things like the cinema and art galleries and libraries and things, they closed. But they're beginning to open again under restrictions. I mean, only a certain number of people can be in those buildings at any one time. Our churches are getting it back to normal as well. At the moment, we can have congregations of up to 50 people. It's certainly not the same, but a step in the right direction. So how did I move from my girls to the cafes to the pandemic restrictions? I'm not sure now, but anyway, the next thing on my list to talk about is my unschooling community. It is three months old and it is one of the things that I'm really enjoying at the moment and I'm hoping that the other members are enjoying it as well. We had a feedback post maybe a week or so ago and a lot of people stopped by and told me that they were enjoying it and I asked some specific questions about the things that I'm presenting in the community did they like this? Did they like that? What else could we do together as a community? And one of the things we're enjoying is having a weekly unschooling challenge. I might have mentioned this in my last podcast. I seem to remember telling you about our happy list challenge, where we all put together a list of things that make us happy. Well, we've had all sorts of challenges. The one at the moment is about curiosity. Are we curious people? Can we pass on a curious attitude to our children? And people have been stopping by in the comments and sharing all the things that they are curious about, what things they are investigating. We've had strewing challenges and conversation challenges. I've got a long list of upcoming challenges as well. 
I keep having ideas and jotting them down. And I hope what the challenges will do is to make unschooling theory into a, a reality. So all those things that I have written about in my books, Curious Unschoolers and Radical Unschool Love, maybe the challenges will turn all that into some practical things that we can do with our families. If I think up enough unschooling challenges, I've been thinking about putting together a book, a big book of unschooling challenges. Because sometimes it can be difficult to visualize unschooling. What do we exactly do? I mean, it's very easy if we are doing things the Charlotte Mason way or the classical curriculum way. There are steps that we take. Let's plan some short lessons. Let's put some nature study in. How about some narration? We have all those steps worked out for us by somebody else. But with unschooling, What do we do? So I'm hoping that the challenges will give us some ideas about things we could be doing with our children. Not only things that we can do, but maybe the challenges will also give us insights into how unschooling works. Another thing that I have started doing regularly is posting about resources. I'm trying to think of particular topics like this week's one is about art and artists and then we can all add our favorite paintings our favorite resources for finding out more about art. Jimerez and I love art history so I've got a few ideas that I want to share with the community. Last week's post was about unschool maths In particular, it was about games, maths games, not games that will teach our children maths, but enjoyable games that use maths. I think there is a distinction. Maybe we don't often think about that, but I'm not trying to come up with a list of games that will trick our kids into using maths, games that might teach our kids their times tables, for example. No, I'm thinking about games that just use maths as part of the game. We are also sharing photos and then anybody can post a question. And Sometimes I post a link to an interesting article. I've posted a few to articles about technology and screen time and we've had some good discussions about that. The other big thing in my community is our book club discussion group and last month I was telling you that we were about to discuss my book Radical Unschool Love and well we're going a bit slowly so there's plenty of time if you would like to join us yes one good thing about going slow new people can come along and get involved it won't all be over by the time you get here But I think that we can go back and forth between the posts anyway. As different people see the posts, maybe somebody else would like to add a comment to an old post and we can all go back and continue the conversation. Every time we get a little bit more input, it does change the conversation a bit more. We can mull over some new ideas and, yes, ponder the topic anew. 
So we are discussing radical unschool love, and we're up to the section love. I think this is my favourite section. I guess the whole book revolves around the concept of unconditional love. Now before I move on, I have a story from Radical Unschool Love, one from the love section that I want to share with you. I think there are 16 stories in this section and the one I've chosen today is called Nothing is More Important Than Love. What would you rather do? Play that computer game or come and give me a hug? I ask my daughters. Without a moment's hesitation, Gemma Rose says, Hug you, of course. Do you even need to ask? says Sophie. I am humbled. What did I do to deserve such love? I love my children so much it hurts. I love you so much, I say. My girls smile. We know. Maybe my children weren't always aware of just how much I love them. I used to give them the impression I loved the good opinion of other people more. I would say such things as, You can't wear that. What will people say? How could you embarrass me like that? I haven't got time to do that with you. I have to clean the house. What if someone came to visit? What's wrong with you? Kids your age can read. What will everyone think? I used to complain and criticise. I never appeared satisfied. I wanted people to think I was a perfect mother with a perfect house and perfect children who were perfectly educated. But my children aren't perfect, nor am I. One day, I realised my kids love me just the way I am. They don't say, we'd love you more if you were a better mother. Actually, their unconditional love makes me want to be the best mother in the world. So I love my children the way they love me. They don't have to be perfect. They don't have to impress. It is enough that they are my children. My love for them overflows my heart. Yes, I love them so much. It hurts. Why does it hurt so much? Perhaps love is like a dart that wounds the heart. Maybe I imagine how I would feel if my children were no longer around. I hold my children tight, close my eyes, and my heart suddenly contracts with love, but also fear and pain at the thought of losing them. I don't know what is ahead of us. I don't know how long I will have my children. At the very most, I will have them here with me in my home for only a few years. So I have to make every moment count. Make each day as joyful as I can. Live life in a way that brings us together instead of pushing us apart. Live so that there are no regrets. Love until it overflows. Nothing is more important than love. 
the most comprehensive curriculum, the best resources in the world, all the possible extracurricular activities, all the experiences and opportunities I could provide, all the things I could buy. These are nothing compared to love, the unconditional kind, the kind of love with which God loves me. It is love that has the greatest power to make our children grow and develop into the people they are meant to be. I've come to give you your hug. Gemma Rose climbs onto my lap. I place my cheek next to hers and drink in the sweet smell of her hair. I wrap my arms around my daughter and I feel so very, very thankful that I have children who have taught me about love. The other day, Gemma Rose, who is now 16, as I said earlier, she climbed onto my lap again to give me a hug. I think that's rather lovely, that as our children grow up, they don't grow out of hugs and physical demonstrations of love. So if you'd like to discuss that story and all the other ones in the love section of my book, Radical Unschool Love, please join me in my unschooling community, the stories of an unschooling family community. Now, before I move on from the community, there's one more thing I would like to tell you about it. Just recently, I started another group within the community, and this is the Children's Book Club. And I'm posting recommended novels, picture books, poetry, non-fiction books, graphic novels, all kinds of things for children and, I guess, parents of all ages. I'm also posting links to related resources, such as author interviews, read aloud videos. I found some videos on YouTube where Tommy DePaola is reading his own picture books, all the beautiful Stregonona books. He's written a lot of books that we enjoy. Also, I'm posting links to musicals because there are quite a few musicals that are based on books. For example, how about Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds? I found a musical stage version on YouTube the other day. And then there's Andrew Lloyd Webber's musical Cats. And that was based on T.S. Eliot's book, Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats. I think that's what the title is. As well, there are some other videos such as poetry recitations. And I might add some book lists as well. There's already one book list in the group, and that's an Australian book list. Some organisation put together a list of what they considered to be the best Australian books, including a lot of children's books. I'm also inviting members to add their own book recommendations as well. So hopefully within the group there will be a lot of posts and we can dip into them whenever we are looking for something to read or whenever we want to strew something, whenever our children say, hey mum, can you recommend a book? Well, that's the idea of my new group, 
the Children's Book Club. So, time to move on to something else. You might know that last year, I was a speaker for the Homeschooling Global Summit. My daughters Imogen and Sophie were also interviewed for that summit. The other day, I was sent the embed codes for those interview videos, and I have embedded them on my blog. If you would like to watch them, if you missed the summit last year, it's not too late to watch our videos. I've embedded them on a page on my blog, as I said. And if you would like to find them, go to the top menu and under videos, you will find Global Summit videos. I've also embedded the videos in the community. At the moment, I'm arranging my interview for the 2020 Homeschooling Global Summit. Yes, I've been invited to speak again. So I mustn't have done too bad a job last year because I've been invited back. So that makes me feel pretty good about what I did last year. It was a very good experience, but being the type of person I am, I always worry a little a bit beforehand. I'm not a very outgoing person. I'm an introvert. I know that once I start talking, because I'm passionate about the subject and I enjoy talking about unschooling, everything will be fine. But beforehand, I worry about getting an internet connection. Have I got everything set up properly? Will my mic work? What questions will I be asked? Well, I usually have a list and I sort of go over them and practice a bit. But what if a question comes up that's not on my list? Or what if I forget the answer? I mean, that sounds silly, doesn't it? What if I forget the answer? I mean to say, unschooling is so much a part of our lives, I can't really forget about it. But in the moment, if I'm feeling nervous, will I lose track of what I'm talking about? So sometimes I agree to do these things, an interview for a podcast or an in interview for the Global Summit, and then I start panicking. What have I done? What have I done? Perhaps I shouldn't have agreed to do this. But I know from experience, next week when I'm interviewed, I will enjoy the experience very much, and I'll be glad that I did it. Stepping outside my comfort zone again, I guess, it's good for us to do that isn't it? Because whenever anything is a bit difficult, but we attempt to do it, always later on, we're glad, we feel satisfied with ourselves, we challenged ourselves, and it wasn't that bad after all. Well, that's what usually happens to me. So the Global Summit, the Homeschooling Global Summit, is an online event, and it is going to be even bigger and better than last year's conference. This year, the summit will be free for everybody, and I hear that it is going to be more interactive. Already there's a group that parents can join, and I don't know if there'll be a chance to ask questions while the summit is online. Maybe, I haven't got all those details, I just know that when I went to visit the website, wow, it looks good. 
There are loads of speakers. And yeah, it's going to be a good event. So I hope that you will sign up. You can register already. There's a pre-registration link and I'll put it in the show notes. And that means when the videos are available, which happens, I think, on the 29th of June. The summit runs from the 29th of June to July the 8th, if I remember correctly. And every day there will be a number of videos. And I'm guessing that each day there'll be an email telling us what is available to watch. That's what happened last year. The 2019 uh, summit is still available online and it is free to access, I think, until June the 17th. So if you sign up for that, you have to sign up for a pass. You could still see those videos if you hurry. But my video and Imogen's and Sophie's videos, they're available all the time because I've got the codes for them on my blog and in the community, as I said. In my last podcast, episode 172, I think I was talking about an A to Z blogging challenge that I was doing. First of all, I set out to write about unschooling and somewhere along the way I changed my mind and I started writing about my life rather than my kids' unschooling lives. And I ended up creating a new blog, or to be more precise, I ended up posting on an empty blog that's been sitting around for a few years, waiting for me to decide what to do with it. That blog is called Where the Carol Birds Sing. So I did my A to Z challenge on my life, everything that was happening. I touched a lot on COVID-19 and how it was affecting all of us. Lots of different stories about my family and my husband and myself, but from my point of view, I'm the center of most of their stories. I'm not on the edges like I usually am with the unschooling ones. Sadly, I've got busy. I think I said that at the beginning of the podcast. Lots and lots of things to do. Even though Gemma Rose isn't home most days, I don't know, I seem to be as busy as if she were here. I guess the community and writing and, oh, I've got a lot of other things that I do for my girls, such as I'm proofreading Imogen's latest novel, which is almost ready. She's going to be publishing her third novel very soon. Then there's all the housework and taking girls to and from places. Yes, it doesn't take long for a day to disappear. And somehow I haven't written a post for my new blog for a while but I hope to get back to it. I decided to go back to my unschooling blog and do an A to Z blogging challenge there. That's probably why I haven't written any posts for the other blog. I started at A and chose the word and then wrote something about unschooling. And so far I've got up to letter J. Judging other people. That's the title of my J story. Now, J isn't that far through the alphabet, and I've been doing this challenge for a while. So it's a good job I'm doing it by myself, and I haven't 
put any time limits on it. Sometimes I write two or three posts in a row, one post a day, and then a few days go by without me writing anything. And I seem to be stuck at J at the moment, but I am planning on finishing that challenge. And what I'd like to do to finish this podcast is to share with you a couple of those stories. My C story is called Clock Watching. And this is how it goes. I used to watch the clock a lot. Many years ago, when I was at school, every classroom had a clock on the wall. And each of those clocks had leaden hands that moved so slowly that I often thought I'd go crazy before they reached the half hour or hour position. At those magical points on the circle, a bell would ring, releasing us, sending us into a flurry of activity. We'd thrust our books into our bags and race for the door. A few minutes later, we'd flop onto chairs in an identical classroom in front of another teacher. Soon, we'd all be looking at another leaden-handed clock. All those half-hour and hour and even two-hour lessons that had to be endured each day, week after week, month after month, year after year. Years of watching clocks and waiting for bells. I have to admit it wasn't all bad. Occasionally a teacher's enthusiasm was contagious and I forgot to look at the clock. And sometimes I made a real effort as I tried to take an interest in the lessons that I was forced to attend. For example, when I was about 13, I disliked art, mostly because of the teacher. She was always complaining and finding fault with my work. I was sure she didn't like me. I wondered why. One day, I decided to do an experiment. I did extra work on my homework assignments. I read and researched. I formulated a list of curious questions. Then, instead of enduring the lesson, as I waited for the bell to ring, I looked as if I were very interested in it. The teacher noticed. She paid attention to me. She started to like me. My marks rose significantly. I suppose there's a lesson in there somewhere. Teaching isn't easy, especially in a system where everyone is ruled by clocks. Learning has to be efficient. Facts have to be packed into small spaces. There's little time to be curious and ponder and be fascinated by the world. Although my teachers did their best, were they sometimes just as eager as me for the clock hands to reach the right position for the bell to ring? In our early years of homeschooling, I discovered Charlotte Mason. I got very excited about her ideas and decided to try them out on my kids. I drew up a plan for each week and included all the required subjects such as maths, English and history. I left time for regular drawing of maths facts and spelling too. I thought my kids would be delighted because we were going to read good books recite poems, investigate art, 
keep nature journals and do all kinds of interesting things. Looking at my plan, I could see that my kids would have to do a lot of things each day. But that was okay because each lesson was going to be short. Short lessons sounded sensible. I could present many subjects to my kids in a day without their attention wandering. Lots of variety. They only had to focus for a few minutes at a time so they wouldn't need to watch the clock, hoping its hands would move very quickly. It was me who ended up doing lots of clock watching. I had to know the exact minute to say, that's it, time to move on. I felt it was important to keep moving through the day's timetable and not get behind. We had to tick off all the boxes, get the schoolwork finished as quickly as possible. We couldn't spend all day doing it. We had much more interesting things to do. We wanted to get to the part of our day when we were free to do what we wanted. Looking back, I wonder why I thought short lessons were a good idea. I know kids are capable of focusing for long periods of time. I've observed small children looking at worms, or leaves, or caterpillars, or shadows, or even a drop of water. They are captivated, absorbed. It's adults who want to rush past all the fascinating things. We're the ones in a hurry. We don't seem to have the same patience as our kids. If kids are good at concentrating, why are they presented with short lessons? Could the lessons be the problem rather than the kids? Are traditional methods of teaching failing to capture a child's attention? Are they foreign? to a child's natural way of learning. I soon abandoned Charlotte Mason and her system of short lessons. I stopped making my kids learn what I, or Charlotte, thought was important. I threw my plans into the bin and bypassed all the boxes waiting for ticks. We headed straight for the good stuff. And we stopped watching the clock. We immersed ourselves in whatever interested us for as long as we wanted. We focused on our passions. No clocks, no bells, no moving on at an arbitrary moment in time. No getting behind, no having to keep up. The funny thing is, my kids ended up learning about many of the things Charlotte Mason approves of. I suppose that's not really surprising, because such things as poetry, literature, art and nature aren't the exclusive property of a method or curriculum. They're part of the world. They're waiting to be discovered by curious people who are free to learn. So, we no longer watch clocks. Unless, of course, we're boiling an egg. My second A to Z story is my I story, impressing other people. Years ago, 
We lived in a house with a white kitchen floor, a sea of shiny tiles that reflected the light. When I first saw that floor, I exclaimed with delight. It was beautiful. Every day, I mopped my kitchen floor with care. Sometimes I mopped it more than once. I guarded it from dirt and spills, which wasn't always easy, because I had young children who were inclined to drop food crumbs and slosh milk. Whenever I found a little person trail upon my tiles, I'd frown and say, How did that happen? You'll have to learn to be more careful. It wasn't only my kitchen floor that I was concerned about. Oh no, I tried to keep my whole house sparkling clean. And mostly, I succeeded, which pleased me immensely, because I soon had a reputation for having the cleanest house of all my friends. I don't know how you do it. Your home is always so neat and tidy, and so are your kids. You are a wonderful mother. Yes, I tried to manage my kids as effectively as I managed my house. I brushed my girls' hair thoroughly and plaited braids and added ribbons, no tangles or flyaway strands. All my kids wore matching socks, their shoes were polished, their faces were clean, and their behaviour? I tried to make that perfect as well. You're a reflection of your family. I guess my kids reflected my intention to impress other people. It wasn't easy keeping up with such high standards. Often I was exhausted because, of course, I couldn't rest when my children were sleeping or busy playing. I had to use my free time to run around the house, returning toys to their baskets, wiping away the latest batch of sticky fingerprints, and ironing the piles of pretty little dresses and matching t-shirts and shorts. As you've probably guessed, I wasn't a fan of messy activities such as painting and digging in the dirt. I knew I should be. Kids need to experiment and explore and play without restriction. That's how they learn. It's also what brings them great delight. So I did allow my kids to do fun stuff. I just tried to confine the mess to one area of the house, a place that could be tidied up quickly if necessary. Because what if someone arrived on our doorstep unexpectedly? We always had to be ready and waiting. I didn't want to let go of my prized reputation. Deep inside, I knew that being a wonderful mother has nothing to do with a clean home and perfectly presented kids. I'd say to myself, what does it matter what other people think? It's your children who are important, not the opinions of others. But it was so hard to let go. I guess, for some reason, I needed everyone to tell me that I was doing a great job. Our family increased in size. I began homeschooling the older ones and tried to do it perfectly. And then one day I hit crisis point. I dropped that tall stack of heavy, odd-shaped boxes that I'd been carrying around for years. They tumbled onto my not-yet-cleaned floor. And with tears rolling down my face, I admitted that I couldn't keep up with everything that I thought I needed to do. 
I realised that I turned into a grumpy dragon mother who was missing out on all the delights of having a beautiful family. I knew I had no choice. I had to let go, not only of other people's expectations, but my own as well. That was the start of our journey back to unschooling. Fortunately, by that time, we were no longer living in a house with a shiny, white, tiled kitchen floor. The other day, I was thinking about that floor, and then I remembered the friends I tried to impress. I'm no longer in contact with any of the women of my early parenting days. They somehow slipped out of my life. I wonder if they ever think. I wonder what happened to that woman with the immaculate house and kids. The fussy one. What was her name? Or don't they remember me at all? It's strange how I was willing to do things to impress other people. I wanted to look good in their eyes. I ended up putting my reputation ahead of my kids' needs. My false reputation. Because all those exclamations about being such a good mother couldn't have been true because I didn't do what was right for my kids. So why don't we ignore the milky spills? Let kids dig in the dirt, take time to hug amongst the mess. Don't worry about what others might think. Be confident. Do what we think is best. Don't try to impress. Instead, impress our kids. Leave the only mark that lasts. Our fingerprints of love. I guess that's another love story, isn't it? It goes very well with the love story that I chose to read to you at the beginning of this podcast. There is nothing more important than love. I posted that story in the community as well as on my blog and it generated quite a bit of discussion. I don't think I'm alone in that need to impress other people. We worry about what other people think of us. And yes, just before I wrote that story, I was thinking about those friends that I tried to impress and how they were no longer part of my life. I had invested so much time and energy into my reputation so that those women would admire me, they would think I was wonderful. And today, they probably don't even remember me. They're gone. But my children are still here. They're the ones that are important. Yes, I wonder why we feel the need to impress. Why we put other people ahead of our children. It's really quite sad, isn't it? That the people that we love the best often come in second place. So that's all I want to share with you today. If you would like to discuss radical unschool love, especially the love stories, please join my community, the Stories of an Unschooling Family Community. I will put a link in the show notes. Talking of radical unschool love, my books, you can find them on Amazon. The first one is Curious Unschoolers. The second one is Radical Unschool Love. They're available as print books and Kindle ebooks. Then there's my blogs, 
stories of an unschooling family and where the carol birds sing. Hopefully there'll be some new posts there soon. And just another reminder to pre-register for the Homeschooling Global Summit. Again, there will be a link in the show notes. I have really enjoyed sitting down here talking to you today, talking to my mic and hoping that you will be somewhere out there listening very soon. I hope that you never give up on my podcast because I seem to come back after a break. I haven't quite given up. Maybe the answer is to record regular podcasts not every week to fit them in around other things that I'm doing because I don't really want to give up my podcast. I do enjoy chatting about what's going on in our lives, chatting about a few unschooling ideas and sharing some of my stories with you. I have already invited you to go over to my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family. That's a good place to leave a comment if you would like to say something about anything that I have talked about today. Of course, you could also do that within the community. So thank you for listening to this episode, episode 173. So until next time, I hope you stay well and safe. I hope that the coronavirus restrictions are easing for you, just like they are for us. So until next time, live a radical life of unconditional love.